0: up world. Pass first, point guard, and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. Listen to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join me this week, Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific time to get in on the action. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Today's episode is also the latest edition of Mailbag Monday, our weekly mailbag show answering listeners submitted questions all episode long. If you want to get involved in a future mailbag episode, there's two ways to do it. You can tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. Uh, You can just send me a tweet whenever you're thinking about it. It it helps if you tag it as mailbag. Or better yet, wait for Monday mornings around 9 a.m. Pacific time when I send out a tweet soliciting questions. You respond to that tweet. I'll do my best to get you in the show. If you are not a Twitter user or someone who doesn't tweet, you can always email me. LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com is the address. LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night. We'll keep away Mailbag Mondays, so let's get into it. Our very first question of the show comes from VCA at VCA on Twitter who asks... Nurk's game four was exactly what many in the organization knew know he's capable of. He's a player who seems to have trouble being locked in. Is he someone that we can accurately accurately label as needing outside motivation to get going? You know, I don't know if um I don't know if we know enough about sort of Nurk's motor to know that, but I mean certainly that's the perception I have of him. Uh, it seems like he thrives when either he can create a villain or there's a known villain. Like when he when he when he came here from Denver, he wanted to, he had a bunch to prove that he was capable and he was really, really good right away. Um, he was not nearly as good the following season. Uh, he, you know, he's been up and down. He's had good games without like a known, unknown a villain or whatever, but it seemed like having that sort of outside motivation, I'm going to go prove it, um, type of thing really helps him. So I, I do think he is someone who needs to create that. And like, <laughs> here's my thing like, it seems like Nurk has, uh, Nurk's sort of like like mental focus is a big challenge for him. So if he needs to go, if he needs that, that's on him to make that. He needs to go full on MJ and just start creating villains out of thin air. He needs to be, you know, mad at Aaron Fentress and mad at Dwight James and mad at Jason Quick and mad at Lockdown Blazers and and whatever whatever it takes. Mad at, uh, you know, mad at Michael Porter Jr. Mad at Tim Conley. Whatever it takes. Nurk's got to go find some villains, make up some villains if if he has to. Next question comes from Ian, who asks, like Nurk going after Kendrick Perkins, there needs to be a media punching bag for Damian Lillard. Someone needs to tell Dame loudly and publicly that he can't play defense like in game four. No one has seriously referenced it. Dame is a horrific defender, but when he plays like he did in game four on defense, the Blazers have a better shot to win. It also helps keep Nurk from having to cover too much space and pick up ticky-tack fouls. Yeah, I think Dame was pretty good on defense in game four. Uh, There's one play I remember where he just, like a really bogus gamble that gave uh, Fox on wide open three. But yeah, in general, I thought he was really competitive, sort of getting back to the ball. Um, Faku just had a terrible shooting game. Um, so that I think helped Dame look a little bit better on defense. I didn't think he, like, the Blazers in general played better, and, and Dame certainly was, like,. Um, competitive on that end but i didn't just a couple times i've watched the game in person and then rewatched it on tv and i he his defense didn't super stand out to me but i know what you're saying um about like you gotta find find him to give dame a villain but i think dame is is the reverse of nurk i that's why i put these two questions back to back like um i think nurk is someone who needs that outside motivation and i think dame is someone who is deeply motivated sort of by um his in, by his you know internal internal whatever desires the things that are pushing him i think he um i think he gets up for things without without those external factors uh, i think uh i think that's what makes dame special is that he can rise to the occasion without needing so needing uh, reason to rise Next question comes from all good at Julio can two on Twitter who asks, what do you think the narrative will be around Nurkic after this series? Let's assume he maintains this level of play versus Jokic, no better, no worse. Putting the team outcome aside, what will the series have done to Nurk's profile as a player? And what do we believe about him and what, and what do we believe about? Him? Uh, I don't think you can put the wins and losses aside. Like it, those are deeply tied to it. Like even if Nurk kicks ass, if the Blazers lose, it's still going to look, you know, on, on all levels, including Nurk, like in some ways, the sort of failure of a season, or at least a really frustrating end to a, to a season. Um, Also like this current level of play, if he plays like he did in game four for the rest of the series, then we're going to think of this dude as like a budding all-star type of player. Um, So, but if it's like the sort of average, the aggregate, I think then you're getting like exactly who Nurk's been all year. He had one real stinker of a game and one really awesome game. And that averages out to a pretty decent center. And that's who he is, is he's a pretty decent starting center in the league. Uh, I don't think you can get narrative without the wins. Like I think that's, that is the nature of narrative. But Nurk Nurk's play is still deeply tied to the Blazers' chances of success. Like I think that I think that is just absolutely, absolutely undeniable. Um, you know, it's. It, I think there's a scenario where Nurk plays well and the Blazers don't win the series, but I don't think there's a scenario, scenario where Nurk plays poorly and the Blazers do win the series. Like I think he can play well and have really good games, and they might not win it just because it's, it's you know he can only do so much. But I, I if you get bad Nurk for a couple games, um, then Denver is going to win the series. Next question comes from BlazersOptimist at Justin underscore B underscore leak on Twitter, who asks, the norm game ruled. I expect people. we have yet to see the MPJ game, and that worries me. However, we also haven't really seen the CJ game. Do you think CJ can still hit a ceiling in this series, and will it be enough to take us to round two? I mean, CJ definitely can. There's nothing, there's no... There's nothing that that uh, Denver is doing to him that suggests that he can't. Like he can cook Austin Rivers. He's literally been doing it since he was wearing a Lehigh jersey. Go check the highlights. Um, yeah, I mean it's like, will he? Will he? Uh, I, I mentioned the MPJ game thing in my podcast. I posted yesterday, uh, like recapping game four and looking ahead to game five. Like I, I too think a good Michael Porter Jr. game is coming. Can the Blazers weather that? Um, he basically he had a pretty good game in game one, but he missed nine threes, and since then he's been kind of meh, um, and and like truly. Bad bad in game four. So I think we're going to see a bounce back game from MPJ. CJ could go, you know, where's the CJ that scored 37 on the road in game seven? That's maybe a big ask, but like something akin to that where he's the Blazers best offensive player for the whole night would be, um, would be kind of what you're looking for. And there's no reason to think that he can't do it. Um, The only, the only reason to think that he can't do it is because we're four games into playoffs and he hasn't. Next question comes from Onion Boy at... C F I Vanovic, Vano C F I Vanovic. (laughs) I think Uh, onion boy, hit me up. Tell me, give me a pronunciation guide. Onion boy asks, do, you think that the Norm is undersized narrative at the three is a little overstated. He's got basically a seven-foot wingspan, span, very strong and athletic, is good for two blocks a game in the playoffs, and in game four, bullied his six-foot-ten counterpart. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like this is matchup-based. Um, is Norm big enough to guard Michael Porter Jr.? Hell yeah, and his physicality has taken Michael Porter Jr. out of the game. He's done a, re- a really fantastic job on it. But when you get bigger, stronger wings who have more on-ball skills, Michael Porter Jr junior doesn't really have that tight of a handle he doesn't he's not going to take you in the post he's not going to take you sort of in the mid post he's not going to run a bunch of pick and rolls and try to put you in jail as they say like put you on his hip and, and and just keep you there like he's just not that um i think against like actually big wings as opposed to just like a tall wing a guy like a stouter guy like say lebron james who the blazers could conceive play in round two or Kawhi leonard if that if that were to come it like then come to fruition i think like then you would see the Norm is undersized thing. If is he too small to guard the Nuggets' wings? No, no, not at all. That's one of the reasons why this is a good matchup. Uh, the thing, the like, the narrative is that when you play the elite big wings in the NBA, that Norm is the only option that the Blazers really have for that, and um, is not big enough to do so. And I think that is true. I that that I'm rolling with with for sure. I don't think that narrative is overstated, but I do think it's overstated that like. Well, let me say this. I had some concerns at the beginning of the series that MPJ could just shoot over the top of Norm and score inside really easily. And he went 11 for 11 on twos and really was a good off-ball cutter uh and since norm has just been more physical keeping him off the ball keeping him off his spots you know been really good against him so i was wrong about i thought mpj would have more of an impact i mean maybe he will right because i'm still like justin b leak and i are still uh both both kind of waiting for the mpj game to pop but norm's been fine it's not not a concern in this in this series by any means now, next question. Next question is going to come in the next segment. We'll answer more of your questions in segment number two. But first, let's talk about Locker Room. It's the first social audio app just for sports fans. Uh, the app is free to download. Once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, uh, athletes, you name it, in real time about your favorite sport, your favorite team, the Trailblazers, the NBA, the NBA playoffs, whatever you want to see. I will be hosting the... Uh, locked on blazers room locked on blazers chat uh wednesday this week at 6 p.m so you can join in on the conversation i really enjoyed the locker room chats Uh, i've done them weekly i hang out there for about 35 45 minutes uh people ask questions there's a little chat feature they can we can bring people on uh i can bring people on stage to chat back and forth i've brought some friends who work in the media to join me it's a lot like this podcast but like in a live live capacity so it's live radio where there's where there's you know like with call-ins and and question ask you know whatever te- hot text line like you do on radio whatever i've really really enjoyed locker room so i encourage you to uh if you are able to download the app and come join me wednesday at 6 p.m follow me on there at mike G. Rich. you'll be notified when my room goes live again wednesday 6 p.m can't wait to hear your thoughts see you there locker room changing the way we talk sports this episode's also brought to you by rockauto.com it's the family business that's been serving auto part customers online for over 20 years. Uh, rockout.com is great because they just make buying auto and body parts easy. They got hundreds of products from hundreds of manufacturers, all of it on a easy to navigate website. A couple clicks, it'll come right to your door. But the best part is the prices. If you're going to other places like a big box retailer or a brick and mortar store to Look for auto and body parts. They're limited by what they can store physically on the site or what's in their warehouse. They might not have all the specifications that you're looking for for your make and model. That's not going to be a problem at RockAuto.com. You're going to find what you're looking for in a few easy clicks. And best of all, the prices are always going to be, be reliably low. There's no mechanics-only section where there's a deal for, for professionals. Do-it-yourselfers, you know, you're working on your car in the yard, you're going to get the same price as someone who's who's working at the car in the mechanic shop. It's, it's all right there for you. So go to rockauto.com, and while you're there, write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box. That way, they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, let's keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday as we continue to discuss the Blazers' road to the finals. And a reminder that all of our NBA playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it, and at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. This next question comes from Jack, at Jack Parshall on Twitter, who asks... Do you feel like you have a better feel for the game in person or on TV? As a fan, I feel like the television allows me to recognize themes or patterns easier. Yeah, same for me, uh, particularly sitting in a new spot in the arena. I was really comfortable for, you know, six or seven years sitting in one of four seats on press row, maybe one of... three seats quite frankly on press row for seven seasons that that was a really familiar way to see the game there was something about sitting in a slightly different spot that it was like oh I can't even I can't even quite see it um, I can notice little things in the arena a lot better like um, some off ball stuff I'll watch how like physicality of off ball screens or I'll just choose to watch a guy for a possession and see what he does you know particularly on the defensive end but in terms of like what are the Blazers trying to do here there is something very familiar about the broadcast television broadcast angle that allows me to kind of pick up on okay they're really trying to do this okay they've run this action three four five times in a row um you know things like that where i like you said i've noticed themes and patterns a lot easier yeah i think i think for me television is easier and sometimes just the rewatch on tv is like is always significantly easier our next question comes from dr j who asks simply what has changed from the regular season that canter is not playable in against denver in the playoffs dr j sent a detailed note noting how how canter was like totally fine against denver in two regular season meetings and t- including one game uh, early in the season when he was just like straight up good um but there's a lot of questions about Cantor, so let's let's get to them and then we'll talk about it uh as it, larger picture Cantor stuff grant at grant moen zero on twitter asks after game four stott said we're going to need Ennis again what do you think that means Tim asks, did you hear Terry Stotts mention how we're still going to need Ennis Cantor in this series? I did. Everyone's wondering. And KJM underscore B-ball at B-ball KJM asks, if we make it out of the series, will Cantor be a viable option against other teams or he's just unplayable in the playoffs? So a lot of things happened. I think the difference in the regular season versus the playoffs is that you can really, di- you can really dial in on weaknesses and you can say, okay, here's what Cantor is not good at. And we're going to make him do that thing. He's not good at every time down the floor. And here's what he wants to do offensively. Like he wants to post up on this side of the court. He wants to get to this hand and he doesn't see these types. Type of pass as well. These t- so you can double team him in this type of way, and I think the Nuggets did a really good job keeping him off the offensive glass. Like they're obviously super attuned to that. I think they've, um, you know, they've they've done a really good job attacking him with either smalls like Paul Millsap. Just Paul Millsap's not small, but like a smaller guy who just straight line drive. I'm going to give me some space. I'm going to bust pass canter They've kept him off the glass. They've you know Jokic has eaten him alive. That's a matchup that he loves, and every time he gets it, he's been aggressive going at it. So I think it's not like. I think Cantor was always going to be a bad matchup for this Nuggets team. It's just like you prepare for the playoffs very differently differently than the way you prepare for a regular season game. You do not dial in on guys' weaknesses like in the same way. Uh, You you attack it a little bit, but not like every time down the floor because they're just, it's, you just, um, because games come so quickly in the regular season, you just kind of have to say, let's do what we do best and do like some game plan stuff for their stars. Uh, But you know, also like I think Cantor's, beyond this, like being a bad matchup, I think he's just played poorly. Um, you know, like, I don't think if he was playing, he, there's a chance that he would be a terrible defensive matchup, but still be a little bit more impactful on the glass. Like I thought he'd be okay against Michael Green and Paul Millsap, even early in the series. I was like, he can play against those guys. It became clear that he couldn't like that. He was just getting eaten alive after game two. So, um, you know, I think some of it is just Cantor has Cantor's just struggling right now. Um, you know, in the way that, there are ups and downs of an NBA season. He's in a downslope and it's, and it's more pronounced where he's, uh, where he's kind of in a struggle matchup for him, uh, against this team. Uh, and, and regarding from questions from Grant and Tim, the questions about like Terry Stott saying, we're still going to need Cantor in this series. That that's coach speak y'all don't read. Everyone loves to read so much into the, uh, to the Terry Stott's quotes. That's not, that is not for me. What he was basically saying was like, I don't, we're not, while I've gone away from Cantor, there's still a chance that I call his number so if if so Ennis if you're listening please listen um you know if if Terry had really mean, meant that maybe should have put him in for the final uh, rebound of game 3 whoops um but I think what he really means there is like, Nurk's not going to play perfect every single game. And there's a chance that foul trouble comes or some or some matchups come that we're going to like turn and need Ennis again. It's a long series. I don't think he was, I don't think Terry was like totally BSing, but it was just like coach speak. Like we're going to need all of our roster because things can come up. And specifically what he was referencing there was foul trouble. Uh, if Nurk gets in foul trouble and Jokic is on the floor, I don't think they're going to immediately go small. I think they're going to try canter and see what happens. Is that a good idea? I don't know probably not but uh, but that's what uh, that's my read and what Terry meant there Uh, KJM's question about viable Cantor's viability against other matchups I think he's he would be okay against the Lakers like they play Pau Gasol Gasol, you wish they play Marc Gasol they play Andre Drummond Um, they in theory might have to play Montrez Harrell if depending on if Anthony Davis is back like this is you know cart before the horse or whatever obviously the late the Lakers have to win the Blazers have to win but like he's okay Cantor could play in that series i think i think if those guys are if if there's traditional slower centers on the court which there will be with those guys that's that is a Totally reasonable matchup for Cantor. Beyond uh LeBron James, the, the Lakers don't have like really a lot of high-level creators. You know, maybe Dennis Schroeder runs past Cantor a couple times, but uh we'll we'll get we'll worry about that when we get there. I think Cantor can play in that matchup. Suns maybe not as good because they can go small with the second unit unless Cantor's gonna play against uh DeAndre Ayton, then that could be a problem. Also, Cantor guarding a Chris Paul pick and roll every single time down the court seems like a nightmare. So certain matchups, yeah, like that's the playoffs are all about matchups. And I think if they, the Blazers play a bigger, more traditionally big team, then they'll be all right. Francis Mack at Francis underscore Mac asks, do you think Dame can be the best player on a contender? Do you buy the notion from Nate Duncan that Dame is, is the greatest reason why this team is not a contender? I'm a fan of Duncan's, not meaning to criticize him, just want to know if you have a different view. Yeah, I, I kind of think that's bullshit. Um... If uh, so, like, what's the most reasonable facsimile to it to a player that has won a championship of Dame? Isn't it? Isn't it Steph Curry? Even if you're like super low on Dame's production, let's say he's like eighty percent of Steph Curry, right? Even seventy percent of Steph Curry. If you're being really, I, I don't, I don't think that. But like, let's let's say you're there. Um, say you're Nate Duncan, and you think that Damian Lillard is seventy percent of Steph Curry. Well, on the twenty fifteen championship team, uh, the second best player on the. Warriors roster was Clay Thompson, um, a six foot seven wing who doesn't need to dribble is an elite scorer without like really doing anything but catching, turning and shooting is, is an all time great shooter. Right. And a, and a really good defender on the other end. The third best player on the Warriors was Draymond Green, a two time defensive player of the year and future Hall of Famer. Uh, Clay will probably make the Hall of Fame, too, while we're at it. Uh, the fourth best player on the Warriors in 2015 was Andre Iguodala. Damon Lures never played on a roster that good like miss me with that bullshit the way you win you the way you win championships is build a championship roster if if Dame's teammates were on that level like the the way you win a championship is you have a top 5 player top 10 player like like the Blazers do and then you fill out the roster and with really really high level players around them uh Dame's never played on a roster that that good and if you just drop Dame into the 2015 Warriors i think that team is still pretty pretty MFing close to a championship. Um, it, Nate Duncan is a smart guy entitled to his own opinion, but I regard that as hateration and holleration. Vegan Mindset Coach at Mindset Vegan on Twitter asks, What can we expect from Ant moving forward throughout the rest of the series? He had an amazing game one. He seems to be a bit lost since. This is Anthony Simon's Ant. Hard to know what to expect. I think the physicality of this series has taken Anthony Simons out of it a little bit. He also just doesn't have a lot to his game. Like, he's a shooter. Um, he's, he's doesn't have a super tight handle. He doesn't get downhill and attack the rim like at all. So he's a shooter and it's easier to take guys who are relatively one dimensional out of the game because you just, you just take that away and say, what is the next thing you're going to do? Like if Ant is your assignment, you top lock him, which is like you know, get on top of him so he can't, uh, you know, force him baseline so he's going toward the rim on his cuts and after he, you know, you you top lock him and and make him drive into the paint where he doesn't want to go you make him shoot, you know, run him off the line and, and make him just make other decisions and he's just, he's not he doesn't he doesn't have a lot there dude is a really 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 good shooter but he just doesn't have a lot else in his game right now and i think that's as you know as you get deeper into these playoff series your opponent is more and more familiar with what you can and more specifically what you cannot do and the, and the nuggets are really aware of what anthony simons cannot do uh, blazers have had him initiate more a little bit but I, by initiate i really just mean like dribble the ball up and throw it into a big on a uh on a horn set and then cut away so they can run an empty side pick and roll with dame uh, uh, so, Simon's initiates a Damian Lord off the ball It's just like Anthony Simon's dribbling the ball up and making one pass and cutting through the rim. All right, let's come back in the third segment, close out the show with more of your questions on this beautiful mailbag Monday. But first, let's talk about betonline.ag. It's just the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, WNBA's regular season, Major League Baseball's regular season you name it, they got it. So, Check it out. They got bets on almost everything you can imagine. Real-time scores, props on... You know, just a massive, massive number of props on the Blazer games. You can get in deep. You can bet on the Blazers to win the series. You could fade the Blazers if you're feeling like a hater. It's all there waiting for you on bet Online. So don't sit on the sidelines. Get in on that action. Go head over to BetOnline.ag. Use the promo code LOCKEDON when you're making your first deposit, and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on that first deposit. That's BetOnline.ag. The promo code is LOCKEDON, and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook book. Experts. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listening to the Locked on Blazers and we're still rolling through Mailbag Monday. Our next question comes from Joey at 772Joey on Twitter who asked, what is your go-to drink and snack food pairing while watching the playoffs? So this is pretty boring. I've become pretty boring. Um, I've really cut out couch beers over the last year, 18 months. Uh, I don't, I basically don't drink at home. Um, I, it's so like, I'm not chilling, watching the game, drinking a brew. Um, and also like we didn't leave our house for a long time. So it really cut down on my alcohol intake period. Uh, so I'm drinking a lot of water. I'm staying hydrated. Um, you know, I'm just occasional, Occasional flavored LaCroix in there, but mostly I'm drinking tap water. That's my go-to drink, if we're being honest. When I'm watching the NBA playoffs, is a go-to drink. Um, and also, uh, I am mostly like eating. If I'm eating on the couch, I'm eating like dinner. So I'm not a big snack guy. Um, in like a typical sort of like watch a Blazer playoff game. But um, I... Literally just before I sat down to record this podcast, my sister-in-law hooked it up with just an incredible number of snacks, some uh, strawberry covered uh, yogurt pretzels, these fried jalapeno chips, uh, and these chocolate covered plantains that all came from a local retailer that sells snack food. I'm sure you can guess who it is, but they're not paying me. So they're not getting buzz marketed, um, So when I'm watching, uh, Memphis and, uh, Utah, which I'm, it's, it's happening right now. I was literally sitting on the couch, drinking water, eating all those good snacks, yogurt covered pretzels, fried, uh, jalapeno chips, and, uh, and those chocolate covered plantains. Fantastic stuff. Um, uh, really, really good, but I don't think I really have a go-to anymore. Back in the day, beers and chicken wings. That was, that was my, that was the move. But, um, Joey, I'm, I'm lame now. Sorry. Next question comes from Eli who asks Stotts adjustment playing Nurk minute for minute alongside the Joker was key in game four is game five. The game we see Joker play all 48 minutes and test the new formula. I don't think so. I don't think Jokic can play all 48 minutes. Like he has an incredible amount of stamina. The four overtime game was really, really impressive, but there are diminishing returns on asking him to play sort of beyond 38 minutes. Um, I think you want to play him. Like, I think he could play 40 minutes and you kind of see what you get out of him. But I think he'll play, you know, 37 to 39 in that range. Like he has been, um, I don't think I don't think the Nuggets will like go f- super far away from that. The way to get Nurk off the floor is get him to commit stupid fouls, um, and and that's like to put him in a bunch of actions, make him make a bunch of uh, plays. As as someone pointed out earlier in the earlier in this episode, it's to have the Blazers players not play as good a defense around him, so then Nurk has to help and pick up ticky tack fouls, helping and doing stuff like that. Um, uh, I no, I don't think the adjustment is to play Jokic forty eight minutes. Like I just don't I don't think you can pull that off. Next question comes from Nathan who asks so far the team with the most assists has has won every game this series is there something really there or is it just that assists equal points and points win games yeah it's the second part it's the second part uh like in the in the nuggets two wins they've shot 50% from 3 uh, the blazers shot you know 40 some percent 48% from 3 in game uh in in game 1 as well like you get a like I I don't mean to like especially like after watching the Blazers not pass the ball so much like I understand you get there's better offense to be had if um if you move the ball but the Blazers ball movement in game one was predicated on getting into the paint it wasn't just passing it was it was a penetration off the dribble then you swing swing get guys in rotation and get and get assists that way uh they didn't get that in game two they had you know. A terrible something like 15 assists and 21 turnovers to 12 assists and 21 turnovers. They were like horrific. Um, but also then like they just didn't shoot well and the nuggets shot incredibly well in that game. Uh it's same with game three, the nuggets just shot really, really well. Like, and if you if you make the shots, you get the assists. I'm like, there are times when you can see it and you say, Man, the ball movement is better. And I think that, that we've seen it throughout the series when there's been better moments for the Blazers on offense. But like just to say like assists are the key, that's like what you're saying is like making back. Baskets is the key because a simple pass into someone who turns around and hits a tough shot is an assist. Uh, I think passing and ball movement incredibly important. I think like the just like raw counting assists, Nathan, as you're kind of pointing out here, is um, there may be a little misleading. I think the most important pass on a possession is often not the one that directly leads to the basket, but sometimes the one that gets the defense scrambling. So um, assists in general are overrated. KC at Game with Maz trim on Twitter asks: This has been extremely fun and irritating series. I'm taking my girls to Game Six. If it's their first playoff game, what do you think would be some neat signs for them to make? Uh, the sign I want the signs I want to see are like a big clock that just say it's time. You hold it up when Dame does something good. You got the clock. Boom, boom. It's time. Or you could just go with something a little more on brand and say you know what time it is, or even we know what time it is. Um, or you, If you really want to, you know, uh, get, try to get on the TV, it's my first playoff game and I know what time it is. But that's a little wordy. Don't do that. Um, the other really stupid sign I want to see just says normcore. If that means nothing to you, <laughs> don't make the sign. Next question comes from Nick Angstad at Nick Van Exit on Twitter who asks... If you're the pass-first point guard, then who are you passing to? Nick is the host of Locked On Mavs. Make sure you guys listen to Locked On Mavs. He does a fantastic job. It's available on YouTube or wherever you already get podcasts. Nick, I'm passing to good cutters. Simple as that. Um, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not, pa- I, I'm not passing to guys who don't cut. I'm not just passing to pass. I'm passing to good cutters. My favorite thing to do in pickup basketball is do a something that is akin to a fake dribble handoff. So if, if I'm at the top of the key and you're on the wing I'm gonna and you're on my team, I'm going to dribble hard at your high shoulder. So your shoulder on the high side of the basket. Dribble hard at that. That Your man is going to look at me because the ball is coming towards him. You're going to cut back door. I'm going to throw a bounce pass. You're either going to get a layup or you're going to have an advantage situation. That is my favorite pass in pickup. Uh, guys who have played with me regularly, folks who've played with me regularly, know that pass is coming shout out to the homies like mike and cullen and chris uh, and others joe yeah (laughs) a bunch of folks oscar oscar works the baseline really well i'm passing to oscar nick that's who i'm passing to dr j asks since you consider yourself a pass first pg and you by your own admission are not very tall we all were you also as annoying as faku on the court (laughs) <laughs> uh, no, I don't, play, I don't play as hard as Faku Campaso. I wish, um, yeah, even, even in, in organized basketball back in the day, I didn't play that hard. I'd be, <laughs> I would have had a different basketball career if I was wired to play that hard. Uh, I wasn't really grimy, um, always like I, um, I was, I was, I was too, I was too much of a finesse player. I'm more, I'm more Ricky Rubio, even though he's big than I am Faku Kompasso. Next question is from Belgian Blazer at Belgian underscore Blazer on Twitter who asks, what's your cat's name and how old is she, is he slash she? Uh, my cat's name is Dr. Coyote and we use he, him pronouns for Dr. Coyote. We mostly call him Yodi, Yodi Boy, Yoderino, or Yoderson. Next question comes from Louis Olenek, Louis R.S. Olenek, who who asks, in memory of the great Mark Eaton, rest in peace to Mark Eaton. Uh, two-time defense player of the year for the Utah jazz who passed away this week. How do you feel his game would have translated to today's NBA? And if the Blazers had prime Eaton right now, how would their fortunes be affected in a series against Denver? IE how affected would he be against defending Jokic? I think it'd be pretty good. Like, I think that size helps, um, I do think his speed would be a problem in the modern NBA. Like, I don't remember Mark Eaton. Uh, You know, he was an all-star in 1989. I was born in 1988. I don't, I don't, I know Mark Eaton from watching old NBA TV games of like young Stockton and Malone Um, I know I know him from basically the like rewatching the 89 All-Star game I know him from watching highlights like I don't um, I don't have a super good grasp on that sort of era of 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 NBA basketball like I do like in sort of like I've read a bunch of books and stuff like that but in terms of like can I test my my eyes and my memory I'm incapable of doing that so I think he would struggle a little bit with the speed like I think you'd be able to put him in pick and rolls and it would be a problem I think of the space in today's game as opposed to what it was back then then would give him some issues but just like straight up guarding Jokic that's that's a pretty good option that's a pretty like just um, his size his physicality uh, be hard to shoot over the top you know he's competitive defensively like interested in being a thorn in your side type of thing like I think I think that'd be pretty good next question comes from Rip City Sofa who at Dodgeball Sofa on Twitter who asks is Melo's defensive game best suited to go against a big rather than a 3-4 hybrid. Well, he certainly can't guard threes. Um, I think he's best suited against, like, traditional fours. Like, they put him on Jermichael Green in game uh, in game four. They put Ronnie Hollis Jefferson on Monte Morris. They put Rocco on um, Paul Millsap, and they put... Uh, and they put Mello on Jermichael Green. Now Jermichael Green had a really nice um really nice quarter and the Blazers just like botched some switches to give him some a, a wide open dunk and a wide open three, but uh I think it's like you don't want him to guard Jokic. Like I know my friend Eric Gunderson uh, who writes the Blazer Banter newsletter that you should subscribe you should subscribe to on Substack. He wrote a thing about how he thought Melo should guard Jokic and <laughs> that if 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 he brought that in there he would get the full bishop bullwinkle hell nah um i think Melo's better guarding slow guys and he's strong enough to guard big slow guys like he's um but you i don't think he can guard centers like that sorry no uh, next question comes with CJ LB's burner at Justin P one, 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 one series is now a best of three. What are the keys for the Blazers to take home a W? I mean, the number one key is for Yusuf Nurkic to play really, really well. And the number two key is answered here in the final question of the show. Dr. J asks, am I crazy? Or is this series really just coming down to if Denver can shoot the lights out from three and their two wins, they shoot 50% from three and losses 30%. This really holds true for guys like Aaron Gordon and Austin rivers. Dr. J notes that Aaron Gordon is still shooting 57% from three, albeit on a very few attempts, and Rivers is shooting 48%. Again, uh limited number of attempts. It's four games, and neither of them got up many shots in Game 4. Actually, Rivers shot fine in Game 4. He just did low, m- much fewer attempts than when he was so awesome, and uh, a game-changing force in Game 3. Yeah, I mean, it's a make-or-miss league. Like, like The key to this series is that r- the right guys make shots. Um, for the most part, Dame and J- Jokic have played like identical games, uh, very similar-looking games, even when they were both bad they were both bad in the same game um Dame's teammates were just way, way, way better, uh, and Jokic is like maybe more important to getting his teammates going than than Dame is because of uh, roles and and how the how each of them are defended, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I like I think it's it's a make or miss league, and and to some extent, you think that the Blazers have a better chance because they're sort of make or miss guys, are CJ McCollum and Norman Powell, and the Blazers in the Nuggets make or miss guys are Aaron Gordon and Austin Rivers. Uh, you know, Michael Porter Jr. deserves to be mentioned there. He's one of those guys, but like. Yeah, I think the difference in this series will be if the Blazers can play good enough defense to prevent the Nuggets from getting a bunch of good looks from three. Uh, it's not... It's not... There. There's like only a certain volume of threes you can prevent. And he's like, run them off the line. It's like a nice idea, but it's like... <laughs> Dudes want to shoot threes in the league. They're going to get them up. They're going to space to three. They're going to make you recover that distance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, all those things. So yeah, like I think I think this game is decided. I think this series is decided. Rather, the final three games, of the series will decide on shooting. Um, it's it, you, I kind of think the stars will cancel each other out, and it's can the other folks on each team shoot well enough to win? Uh, the Blazers shot really, really well in Game Four. They also played a really good defensive game and were in, and and had a, like a level of intent that maybe they they uh i don't think they only really lacked it in game two that was the only game where the Blazers really sucked on defense they were fine in all the other games they were fine in game three they just lost it when the coach did something stupid but um like it's it, this series is going to come down to whether Yusuf Nurkic can stay on the floor and match Jokic's and match Jokic's minutes because when he's done that the Blazers have been okay and then the rest of the minutes it's which guys make shots like that's in in a lot of ways that is how the league boils down it it that's like that's like also kind of what the people who don't like the NBA say about it like oh it's just threes but like the way you generate those threes is the interesting part of the league. It's the details. I love is helping a little bit further off Faku and, and uh, you know, and where Norm stands and can he work the baseline and, and how does he react off? You know, if does he take, you know, he only took four threes in game in, uh, in game four, cause he's mostly trying to get downhill, but he shot it really well. And he probably had opportunities to take a couple more. Does Norm take more of those threes or does he continue to get to the rim? The Blazers have been really good in the paint the last couple games. Do they try to offset some, maybe, maybe of Denver's hot shooting by just exploiting Denver's lack of rim protection. Um, All of it is, you know, it's, it's simple. The team that probably makes more jump shots will win, but the, uh, but you know, how the sausage is made is what I love about this league. So uh, that's, that will be the fun part of what happens in game five. Game five is Tuesday evening, a 6 p.m. local start. excuse me, 7 p.m. local start, 6 p.m. start on the West coast, 6 p.m. in Portland. Should be should be just a fascinating game after the Nuggets got just handled in Game Four. How do they bounce back? What kind of response do you get from Jokic, and and at all? And will the Blazers can the Blazers just say, listen, the team that played in Game Four is who we're capable of being. Uh, You know, even if Norm isn't that good, Dame can be better on offense. CJ can still be more efficient on offense, et cetera, et cetera. And Nurk is capable of doing this. Big questions will be answered in Game Five. It's why it's so darn pivotal and everyone uses that word. So make sure you check back to your feed after that game. I will have a show diving deep on everything we saw and previewing what to expect in game six. That will be in your feeds Wednesday morning following game five. Make sure to check that out. This is a really fun time of year, uh, and I'm sure there's a bunch of new listeners, so I'm welcome to you all. If you want to get involved in a future Mailbag Monday, uh, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter and LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com, I'd be happy to have you participate. I'd be, be honored to have you participate quite frankly. Uh, if you enjoy this show, do me a favor and tell your friends about it. If you have Blazer fan friends, say, hey listen, there's this podcast that comes out every single day of the week. It's about 30 or 40 minutes, and it gets you everything you need to know about the Blazers, makes you smarter about the team. That That's what I'm trying to do here. And if you feel like I am, tell your friends about this podcast. Tell them they can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Lockdown Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.